This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Legend of the Bones. Following in the footsteps of giants, Legend of the Bones is a chimera. A mix of old school tabletop RPG and dark fantasy storytelling. As its name might suggest, in Legend of the Bones the dice rule. There'll be no re-rolls, no fudging the dice, no metacurrency. The roll of the bones will determine the character's destiny and no one will be spared their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. Last time on Legend of the Bones. Two days after Laidner's interrogation of the outlaw, Redwald, and the revelation that he swore allegiance to the Brethren of the Purifying Light, the cleric sought out Lord Conran's chaplain, Father Osbert, who had been sent to tend the temple in Halstone whilst a new priest could be found. Osbert told Lena that he was originally from Godsport and was able to offer some insight as to how the Brethren had become a prescribed group in the city, as well as how the fanatical cult had gained influence at the King's Court in Trevance, the capital of Power and Moor, and even that there was a rumour that the King's son, Tristan, had fallen under their sway. Later that day, the companions accompanied Brannock to nearby Castle Trevenid to meet with Lord Conway, so as to give a first-hand account of the Brethren's interference in Conway's dispute with his rival, Lord Polmere. Chapter 20, Part 1, Day 25, Evening Party Status Beric, 23 out of 23 hit points Lena, 16 out of 16 hit points Kia, 10 out of 10 hit points Valen, 11 out of 11 hit points Spells available Valen has memorized Push Shield and soothe. Lena can pray for two first level miracles. The hall was silent, save the crackle of the fire in the great hearth, as Lord Conwyn stood considering the account relayed by the companions. After Brannock had introduced the party and sought his lord's permission, he had invited Beric and the others to recount their tale, which they did from the shipwreck to the events at Four Rivers and the interrogation of Redwald. Once the tale had been told, Braddock had placed Vortigan's armour and shield at his lord's feet, and kneeling, held the sword aloft in two hands for his lord to take. Conwyn turned the sword over in his hand, admiring the craftsmanship of the blade, which glinted in a firelight. These strangers were clearly capable. They seemed unlikely bedfellows, but their actions may well have frustrated those who would act against him Perhaps they could be of further use. Exquisite, he said softly. He looked at the companions, holding each in turn with a steady gaze. You have our thanks, you have done us a service, and it shall not be forgotten, nor unrewarded. 
Conwyn moved to Brannock and gently guided him to rise. He placed a hand on the reeve's shoulder. And you have done well to put faith in these folk. Consider that we are reconciled, my old friend. Thank you, my lord. Conwyn turned to direct his attention to Redwald. That's for you, Kerr. There is more that I would know. I'll tell you nothing. Redwald sneered. We'll see about that. I can be most persuasive, but that can wait for the morrow. He nodded his head at the soldiers. Take him to the dungeon. Bannock's men dragged the protesting Redwald from the hall. Once they were gone, Conwyn turned to a well-dressed man of around thirty years, who was standing to the side of the Lord's throne. Have rooms prepared for our guests, and tell the cook to prepare enough for the feast. The man bowed his head, and Conwyn turned back to the companions. Go with Enyon. He will see that you are made comfortable, and when you are refreshed, come and partake of our hospitality. The man, Enyon, stepped forward and gestured the companions towards an archway, leading to upward stairs. As they followed, they heard Conwyn speak again. Brannock, I would speak with you privately. Enyon led the companions up winding stairs and along dark, torch-lit corridors. He was taciturn and said little, explaining only that the servants would bring them anything they required and fetch them later for the feast. Eventually, they reached a corridor with a number of doors leading off, and Enyon directed each of them to a room. Lena entered the chamber. Its canopied bed was replete with a soft mattress, feather pillows and fine linen sheets, while the floor was covered by a thick woven rug. On the wall opposite was a small east-facing window. The cleric put her things down and moved towards it, gazing out into the night. The distant roar of waves against rock was soothing as Lena watched the light of the waxing moon dancing on the black water. The heavens were filled with a million stars. She thought of the last time she had looked upon the night sky, and her mind wandered. There was a knock on the door. Come, Lena called. She heard the sound of the door opening and then being closed. She turned, expecting to see a servant. It was Lady Neve. My lady, the cloak said, a little flustered, but she still managed to bow her head in reference. Please forgive the intrusion. To Lena's surprise, Neve did not sound like she was of noble birth. Not at all, my lady. Please call me Neve. She smiled, and Lena, a little awkwardly, did likewise. If I may, sister, I would talk with you. Dramatis Personae Lord Conwyn Ennis Conwyn is a human fighter, level 5, and the current Lord Conwyn. He is 26 years old, standing at 6 feet tall and weighing 165 pounds. His face is angular, with prominent cheekbones and a long nose, and that, along with his dark shoulder-length hair and pale grey eyes, make him a handsome man. Ennis is a strategic thinker, cunning and shrewd, having been tutored from an early age in the art of politics, philosophy and war. And whilst for the most part he is a fair, albeit firm lord, he can also be ruthless, 
particularly in the pursuit of his own interests and in maintaining his family's power. The Conwins are an ancient family, having built and held the fortress of Trevenid and its surrounding lands since the Morren, the people of power Moor, first settled the peninsula 1200 years ago. The family are distant blood relatives of the current king, Donyarth, though it has been many generations since this connection has brought the Conwins any favour. Ennis's father, Kaldor, was a forward-thinking man. Under his lordship, the family's wealth and influence grew. His father was quick to take advantage of any opportunity, and had commissioned the founding of the Four Rivers Mine after tin deposits were discovered upon his land. The establishment of the mine increased the existing rivalry with the neighbouring Polmere family. Lord Polmere had long been jealous of Ennis's father for winning over him the hand of his mother, Eleanor, a celebrated beauty, and the wealth and influence generated by the Four Rivers Mine just added insult to injury. Then, seven years ago, Ennis's father died. It was sudden, and many suspected foul play, for Kaldor had ever been a fit man and in good health, though nothing could be proven. Lordship passed to Ennis, who at the time had much to live up to. The young lord, having seen the faith his father put in Brannock, looked to the older man for advice and counsel, and slowly Ennis grew in confidence. Tensions with Polmere continued, and more recently, brigand activity in Hartwood has started to increase once again, often targeting supply wagons en route to Four Rivers. Rumours have also began to speak a name, L4 Kano. Some say he was a mercenary who is taking revenge for having not been paid. Others, more fancifully, say he is a demon in human skin. But whatever the truth, Kano's brutality and cruelty strike fear into all who need travel through the Heartwood. And now, the attack on Four Rivers and the insidious influence of the Brethren of the Purifying Light threatens to undermine Lord Conwy's grip on his domain. These are not the extent of Ennis's problems, however, for on a more personal level, the young lord has troubles closer to home, which ten days hence was brought into stark relief. The bright spring sun shone through the tall windows of the great hall, in which Ennis paced up and down. He was alone, and had been doing thus for several hours, ever since Neve had been taken ill. His mother and the handmaidens of the castle had been attending his young wife ever since, and they had made it plain that he was not welcome in the bedchamber. That in itself was not unusual, but not knowing whether or not Neve lived was unbearable. Theirs had been a love match, and had his father been alive at the time, no doubt he would have forbidden the union, for Neve was not of noble birth, and the marriage yielded neither influence nor a dowry that would benefit the family. His mother of course protested, but Ennis was Lord Conwyn now, and he could do as he pleased. His thoughts were interrupted by the door opening, and turning towards it, he saw Father Osbert entering. The dishevelled priest approached. My lord? Osbert said with a bow of his head. Osbert, what news? I know not. I have been in the chapel praying for Lady Neve. The boy came and bid me to come. At that moment, the dowager, Lady Eleanor, appeared from the arched stairwell. Despite being in her mid-forties, she was still a beautiful woman. Her hair was dark, save for a white streak at the front, and whilst tired and haggard, she maintained her natural poise and grace. Mother, does she live? 
Ennis demanded. Peace, my son. She lives. What ails her? Eleanor moved closer to her son and took his hands in her own. She was with child, she said softly. Was? Eleanor simply shook her head. Gods be damned! Ennis exclaimed, dropping his mother's hands. His voice was full of frustration and anger. My lord, please! Osbert appealed. Forgive me, father, Lord Conwyn said, regaining his composure, though his anger turned to despair. Five times, five times Lady Neve has lost a child. Will this curse mean I shall never have an heir? Chapter 20, Part 2, Day 25, Evening Party Status The party status is unchanged. Valen did not feel at ease. Whilst the maid had lived in a fortress as an apprentice back in his homeland of Clanris, he had never felt comfortable in the presence of groups larger than a handful of folk. In truth, he much preferred books to people. They were filled with knowledge and could be relied upon for their considered wisdom. People, or rather the behaviour of people on the other hand, often bewildered him. The great hall of Castle Trevenid had been transformed for a banquet. Three long tables had been arranged to form an open-ended square, and servants brought platters of roast goose, boar and venison, as well as dishes of cod and mackerel. There were bowls of peas, beans and cabbage, accompanied by loaves of freshly baked bread. Lord Conwyn sat at the centre of the head table, with Braddock on his right, though the chair reserved for Lady Neve and the one next to it were empty. Phelan was seated on one of the side tables, next to Berwick, who had Keir on his other flank, and along with the rest of the assembled guests, faced inwards on the square. I've never seen so much food, Keir said, as a servant filled his goblet with mead. Aye, we won't go hungry tonight, Beric agreed. Where is Lena? Valen interrupted, speaking rhetorically. Beric looked around, having not noticed before the cleric's absence. Who knows, but fear not. The big man gently slapped the mage on the back. No ill can come of her here, he said a little dismissively. Valen was not listening though. His attention had been drawn to a man sitting across the room, who was staring back at him. His age was indeterminate. He looked young, yet there was a wisdom in his deep-set brown eyes. His chestnut-coloured hair was long and wavy, and was plaited in several places. He wore simple, yet well-made clothes, but most curiously was that he bore a runic tattoo upon his forehead. Valen's eyes grew round as he sensed a deep green aura surrounding the man and he instantly knew what he was. The man gave the mage a barely perceivable nod of his head. But before Valen could do likewise, all attention turned 
as two women entered the room. The first was Lady Neve. She looked radiant in a gown of blue velvet trimmed with silver. The assembled guests stood and Lady Neve bowed to her husband before moving to take her seat. The second woman, who followed just behind, was dressed in a simple, well-fitting shift of white cotton, held at the hips with a belt of bronze links. She was full-figured, and her long auburn hair hung loose in tresses about her shoulders. Her face was pale and serene. It took a moment for Valen to recognise her. Lena, the mate said under his breath. The cleric moved to the chair next to Lady Neve. Let us eat. Lord Conwyn announced, and the assembled guests retook their seats. The hall was filled with the sound of merriment as the gathered assembly enjoyed the hospitality of their host. Beric and Keir were laughing and talking, their trials of the past few weeks forgotten, at least for now. Valen, on the other hand, was in his own thoughts. He was not brooding, rather reflecting on how his life had been turned upside down. He was in unfamiliar territory, and it was disconcerting. He missed Amos's counsel. His eyes wandered to Lena, who was in conversation with Lady Neve. The cleric must have felt his lingering gaze, and her eyes looked up to meet his. He did not look away. She smiled at him. There was a gnawing sensation in the pit of his stomach. But then the cleric's attention was drawn back to the noblewoman. Valen himself felt suddenly aware of someone's scrutiny, and once again found the stranger staring at him. The man smiled. His kind were frequently encountered in Valen's homeland, but their presence beyond Clan Riss was rare. For their tradition, and of course their craft, was tightly bound in Valen culture. Other places had people who used the title, of course, but they were not spell singers. Tolian! Lady Neve suddenly called aloud, catching everyone's attention. Tonight you grace us with your company. Pray, will you not play us a song? The man, Tolian, stood and bowed. As you wish, my lady. A stool was brought and placed in the centre of the space between the tables, and presently Tolian came and was seated. He had with him a small harp, which he rested upon his lap. All turned their attention towards the bard. His eyes were closed, as if in meditation. And then, his long fingers began to pluck at the strings. As war, plague, and famine rob folk of their lives, the gods had abandoned the people lost hope. Deliver the people by faith and by sword. 
with honor unfold. This was his word. Though the tyrant had power, he saw at the cost. Enslaved were the people, their freedom was lost. Before the crown of the five warlords crumbled to dust. Yet Vortigan's fame, in would be his last. A There was silence for a few moments after the song ended, as if those that heard it were hypnotised by the bard's song. Lady Neve then began to clap, and the rest of the audience did likewise, whilst others banged on the table. Keir whistled. Talion got to his feet, and facing Lord and Lady Conwyn, he bowed, before returning to his seat. The bard looked over at Phelan, and raising his goblet, subtly tipped it towards the mage. Well, there are a lot of actors at play on this stage. On the surface, all may seem well at Castle Trevenid, but that is certainly not the case. 
In episode 17, we learnt that the Brethren of the Purifying Light had spies in the fortress. We also know that Redwald had been sent to capture Valen, and it would also seem that Lord Conwyn's bloodline is at risk. So it's time to consult the Oracle to see if any of these facts have any bearing on what might happen next. Firstly, I want to know if the Brethren's spies are still active in the castle. A six. That's a yes and. Okay, so will they take action to prevent Redwald from revealing anything else? A five. That is a straight yes. We also know that Redwald was sent to capture Valen. Will the Brethren act again in this regard? A three. That's a no but. Hmm. Right, I think I have an idea forming. Will they act against one of the other characters? A five. That's a straight yes. Now I also want to know if Lady Neve's repeated miscarriages are the result of some malign influence. A six. That's a yes and. Okay, so is this malign influence the work of the Brethren? A two. That's a straight no. Okay, let's see what all that means. Chapter 20 Part 3 Day 25 Night Party status The party status is unchanged. The hour was late, but Elena felt no compulsion to sleep. She stood once again by the window, as her mind raced with a multitude of thoughts. Earlier that evening, Lady Neve had confided in the cleric. She told how she had recently lost another child, and of her fears that she could not bear her husband an heir. The noble woman sought comfort and solace. She liked Father Osbert, but she needed the empathy that could only be given by another woman. And besides, the old priest was now in Hullstone. Lena had offered her both empathy and a blessing, and together the two women prayed to Naya. Neve had been grateful, and had called her handmaidens to attend the cleric in preparation for the feast, and said that she would be seated by her side at the table. Lena had never been vain, but it pleased her host, and so she had accepted the offer. It had been a long time since she had permitted herself to be presented thusly, to allow herself to feel beautiful. She had felt self-conscious at being on display, but in truth, at least once, there was part of her that enjoyed it. Was that sinful? To feel such pride? To feel the pleasure at an appreciative gaze? Inexplicably, the Lord Steward, Enyon, suddenly appeared in her thoughts. There was something peculiar about the man, it struck her then that she had noticed a passing resemblance with Lord Conwyn. How could that be? There was a knock on the door. Who could that be at this late hour? She felt a tingle of anticipation. Come, she called, turning towards the door as it opened. A servant walked in carrying a pitcher and goblet. I beg your pardon, mistress. Lady Neve sends you this with her compliments. Oh. Uh, thank you. Please leave it over there, the clerk indicated to a small table. She turned back to the window, feeling a pang of disappointment. She heard the man put the objects down. Will there be anything else, mistress? Huh? No, Lena said absently, 
A few moments later, there was the sound of the door being closed. The assassin stood silent as a mouse. Slowly, he reached into his tunic and pulled out a garrote. Thank you for listening to Legend of the Bones. I can't believe this episode marks the one year anniversary of the show. Thank you to everyone who has listened, commented and promoted the show in that time. I am truly grateful for your time, attention and support. Once again, I must thank my fantastic cast of voices and this episode has a multitude of talent. Returning in the role of Lord Ennis Conwyn is Che Webster from the excellent Roleplay Rescue podcast. And joining Che and making their debut in the role of Lady Neve Conwyn is Deborah Webster. In addition, a newcomer to the show, voicing the Dowager Lady Eleanor, is Isabel Hurst. And also making their return as Father Osbert is Adam Powell from the fantastic Snyder's Return podcast. Finally, making their debut to the show is Jonathan Hardin from the brilliant Sojourners Awake podcast. So much talent in one episode. Thank you all, I appreciate it so much. I'll drop links to all those podcasts in the show notes. More thanks must also be extended to the very talented Jim Hurst, who not only appeared once again as Redwald, but also because he provided a piece of custom music for the show, as well as collaborated with me on Talion's song that featured in this episode. Jim wrote the music, as well as doing all the production, and I think the end result sounds absolutely amazing. You can check out Jim's other music on SoundCloud. I'll drop a link in the show notes. Don't forget, you can also help by liking or retweeting new episode announcements or recommending the show online or to a friend. If you'd like to get in touch, and I do respond to every message I receive, then you can contact me on Twitter at Legend Bones, Instagram at Legend of the Bones, Mastodon at Legend Bones, email at legendofthebones at gmail.com or go to legendofthebones.blogspot.com for show notes, character profiles, maps and more. Join me next time to find out what awaits our adventurers as the bones decide their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. Welcome, Sojourners. You have found yourself a cozy place at Sojourners Awake. I'm Jonathan, and together we produce audio dramas while playing our favorite 5th edition role-playing game. Our stories of epic fantasy are told in the homebrewed world of Bonsaro. Heroes like Felthrin Grovelor, The Bookends, and Traina the Dryad all come to life in this podcast. We focus on actual play storytelling while trimming all of the table talk and rules discussion in post. Instead, we focus on forming a compelling narrative together as players, with the end result being a wonderful audio drama which you can enjoy. So visit Sojourners Awake today, and as always, may your story continue.